Good morning, church. My name is Branson Broxman, and I'm a covenant partner here at First Presbyterian Church. This morning, we'll finish our series in Luke by looking at the final verses of the book. In this passage, we will see the disciples experience a life-changing encounter with the risen Christ, which will move them from confusion to clarity, from aimless wandering to spirit-filled direction, and from grief to joy. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 53, or look up at the screens and follow along as I read the passage aloud. Hear the word of the Lord. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in all his nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witness of all these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from, the <clears throat> power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting his hands up, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now please join me in the call to response on the screens. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Grass withers. Thank you, Branson. Good morning, everyone. It's such a joy to stand before you this morning. Thank you so much for coming out to be with us. Um, for those of you who might not know me, um, a lot of you do, my name is Carrie Everson. I'm the Director of Young Adult Ministries here at First Pres. Been on staff here for about four and a half years, but been involved at the church many years before that. And I am the wife to Charles, um, mom to two beautiful daughters, Madeline and Ella. And um, I'm just so happy to be with you this morning and dig into God's Word together. So as we get started, um, would you please bow with me in prayer? Oh Lord, open our ears to hear your words of truth and life. May the words that I speak be glorifying to you and edifying to all who hear them. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So some of you might not know this about me, even those who know me, but I love to read and I especially love fiction. Um, I try to read nonfiction because I know I'm supposed to learn things, blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> but what I really love is just to get immersed in a really good story. Um, I just love getting caught up in it. It takes me to another place. Sometimes in the evenings, I'll be reading, sitting next to my husband, and I'll be so caught up in the story, he'll say something, and I'm like, what? <laughs> it startles me because I just get immersed in that world. Um, but one book that I especially loved um, from the time I was young is The Hobbit. Anyone in here read The Hobbit? Yeah, a few? Okay. Um, so I'm not usually a huge fan of the whole like fantasy fiction genre, but I really love The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. There's so much symbolism, so much ri richness in those books. But um, I remember reading The Hobbit for the first time when I was in ninth grade, 
and just, again, getting so caught up in the story. Now, for those of you who maybe, like me, ninth grade was a few years ago, um, or maybe haven't read it before, let me just fill you in on just a little bit of what it's about. So The Hobbit is about, you guessed it, a hobbit. And (laughs) hobbits are these creatures that are probably about this high, pretty short. They're stocky. They have big, hairy toes. Um, They really like to eat, which is one of the things I love about them, (laughs) because I love to eat. Uh, They have breakfast, then they have second breakfast, then they have elevensies, and it goes on throughout the day. That's pretty much how I eat. (laughs) They love the simple things in life just to enjoy friends and fellowship and being with others. They love their home, which is a place called the Shire. And they don't really have a lot of interest in leaving it. They feel safe where they are. They feel happy and content with their simple life. Bilbo is no exception to this. Bilbo is the main character. Bilbo Baggins does not want to leave The Hobbit. He doesn't want to go on any adventures. He is perfectly happy just being right where he is. Until one day, this huge, tall, kind of imposing-looking wizard named Gandalf shows up at his front door and looks down at him and says, I'm inviting you to come with me on an adventure. And of course, his first response is, no, 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 not me. I don't, I don't do that kind of thing. But eventually, over time, he convinces him to go. And as you who have read it knows, he goes on this big adventure. There's dragons. There's all kinds of different creatures, dwarves and elves. And he comes back, and he's completely changed. He's never the same hobbit again, just content to stay in the Shire. That encounter with Gandalf and the adventure that followed changed everything about his life. Okay, what does that have to do with our passage this morning? You may be wondering. Well, in a similar way, when Jesus appears to his disciples um, at the end of Luke in chapter 24, which we've been going through chapter 24 for a while, so we saw the two on the walk to Emmaus, we saw um, Jesus appearing to his disciples after that, and now we have this last section where he teaches them. But up until this point, these disciples have been in a state of feeling confused, of feeling aimless and grieving. When Jesus died, they had lost their sense of hope, their sense of direction, and clarity about what they were supposed to be doing. They were disillusioned and despairing. Um, Last week, Mitchell preached about when Jesus revealed himself to the two who were on the walk to Emmaus. Then just before this passage, which we didn't read this one, um, Jesus appears to the 11 when they're in a room And he shows them his hands and his feet so they can see the scars. He eats fish in front of them so they can see, oh, this is not a ghost. He has an actual body. This is a person. And then they finally start to get it. They finally start to believe, oh, he really is risen. What these women said, what these other two said, it's true. He really is risen, and he's here with us. Um, And then in today's passage... He, Jesus teaches them and gives them instructions on what to do next. And after this interaction with Jesus, everything changes for his followers. Not only is Jesus alive, but he invites them to take part in this great adventure of being a part of God's kingdom. So just like Bilbo Baggins, maybe not just like, but similar to Bilbo Baggins with Gandalf, the disciples' lives and purpose are drastically changed when they encounter the risen Christ. So an encounter with the risen Christ takes the followers of Jesus from a place of confusion to a place of clarity, 
from aimless wandering to clear instructions along with the power to carry them out, which is the Holy Spirit, and from grief to great joy. So we're going to look at each of those three this morning. So they go from confusion to clarity. The disciples were confused. Not only were they confused after Jesus died, but they, they had forgotten what Jesus had taught them. Jesus had made it clear to them that he was going to die and that he would also rise again. They had heard him say these things, but they hadn't really understood it. They hadn't gotten it. So we have a few passages, and this is just a few. There's others in the other Gospels, but it's just a few to give you an idea of what Jesus had actually said to them. He says in Luke 9.22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Pretty clear. Um, He says to them again, uh, just a little bit later on, verses 43 through 44, while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And then in Luke 18, he says, and taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. So this is the words that Jesus had spoken to his disciples. And yet when he died, they're so confused. They don't know what happened. They had not understood what he was telling them. Has anyone ever experienced this in your life? Someone tells you something but you don't really get it until later on when you experience it. Okay, I want to ask the kids in the room, have your parents ever told you something? Don't eat too much junk food, you're going to have a tummy ache. Don't stay up so late, you're going to be tired and cranky the next day. I have some hands raised already, all right. Got the brooks over there. You you guys are doing a good job as parents, great job. Uh, (laughs) um, Don't hang out with those people, they're going to lead you astray. And yet, you do it, and then you're like, oh, mom and dad were right. I should have listened. Maybe they do know something. Um, I'm sure a lot of parents are nodding their heads right now, right? Um, But for me, I experienced this in a very um, powerful way when I became a mom for the first time. Um, Maybe a lot of other parents in the room can relate to this, but when before I had kids, a lot of people told me, Oh, wait till you have kids. Everything changes. Your whole life changes. It's, you know, it's never going to be the same again. And I thought, ah, you know, it's fine. I babysat a lot. I know how to take care of kids. No big deal. Uh, (laughs) And then um, my beautiful daughter, Madeline, was born more than 10 years ago. And it was a wonderful experience, life-changing experience. And yet, it was probably the hardest thing, at least in those first few months, the hardest thing I had ever done. It felt overwhelming. I didn't know what to do. I was in over my head. And then I remembered, oh, people tried to tell me. They told me it was going to be different. They told me it was going to be hard. But I couldn't really hear them because I hadn't experienced it yet. And I think that's kind of how it is with the disciples. They heard Jesus, but they couldn't really comprehend. They hadn't experienced his death and resurrection yet. Those are really big things. And so they needed him to come alongside and explain it to them. And that's exactly what he does. He doesn't reprimand them. He doesn't say, oh, you should have been listening. Why didn't you listen to me? I told you. Anyone ever do that with anyone in your life? Um, 
I can admit that a few times with my husband, maybe more than a few, I'll say, I told you, I told you I had that meeting. I told you we were going to do this, you know. No, no one else, just me. <laughs> okay, good, I'm not alone. Um, but I, he could have done that. He would have been justified, but he doesn't. He patiently explains to them the scriptures, even though he had told them before. And now we don't know what scriptures he uses, and we don't know exactly what it says. It doesn't say in the text, but we do know that it was from all of the Hebrew scriptures because it says um, the book of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, which is basically all of the Old Testament. Um, And we do know that he focused on his death and resurrection and how that was prophesied from the beginning through the scriptures. Um, So a couple of passages he might have mentioned, probably would, was um, Isaiah 53, especially verse 5, and this is the suffering servant. Um, This is the passage where it talks specifically about Jesus' death, about his suffering on our behalf, that by his iniquities, we will be healed. He probably talked about that. That's a clear prophecy of Jesus' death um, on our behalf. And then there's a quote in Psalm 16, which Peter actually explains when he's teaching um, at a certain point, just much, not much later than this in Acts chapter 2. But it's a quote um, that talks about how death cannot hold him. Um, his, his body will not see decay. And so again, this is a prophecy to Jesus, um, that his body will not see decay or corruption. That means that he will rise again. So there's many more scriptures that I'm sure he talked about, but the point is he patiently explained all of this to them. But it's not just about his death and resurrection. He also wanted them to understand that salvation was not just for the Jewish people, but for the nations. Um, it says in verse 47 that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be pr- proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And I think Jesus wanted his followers to understand that this was God's plan from the beginning. This wasn't a new thing that Jesus decided to do when he came on earth. This was a part of God's story from the very beginning. So I have just a couple of passages, again, that he might have taught them in. Um, Genesis 12, 3, and you, all the families of the earth, will be blessed. Um, Isaiah 49, 6, says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So it's too small a thing that this would just be for the nation of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations. This is in Isaiah. This is way before the time of these disciples. And then Joel 2.32 And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Jew and Gentile alike. So Jesus wants them to understand that not only was his death and resurrection prophesied in Scripture from the beginning, but that his plan from the beginning is that all nations would have the chance to know him and follow him. Um, Sorry, I went to the wrong page. Hold on one second. Um, so sorry. Okay. Um, and so he takes this time to explain these things to them. And they need to know these things um, because 
They are going to teach others. Um, they're they're going to be tasked with, with teaching others to um, uh, about all of these things that he just told them in the scriptures. We see it again in Acts chapter 2. Peter is teaching these things that Jesus has taught him. But they also needed to see this bigger picture to gain perspective. They needed to see that um, this was all a part of God's plan from the beginning. This isn't an aberration. This was how it was meant to be. Okay, so he takes them from confusion to clarity, to a place where they understand, um, and then he takes them from aimless wandering to clear direction. The disciples have been a little aimless since Jesus' death. We see them, um, again, uh, this was preached on a couple weeks ago, we see them on the walk to Emmaus, just kind of wandering to a town, not really sure what to do, not really sure what's next. Um, We see a group of the disciples who go fishing, this is in John chapter 21, kind of returning to their own old way of life, because again, they're not really sure what else to do. And they've spent time locked in a room, huddled together in fear. We see this in John chapter 20. Um, Again, confused, distraught, not sure what to do. They desperately need guidance. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you really needed guidance? where you didn't know what was next, what you should do, where you wanted to hear God's voice, but you weren't sure what he was saying or even how to listen to him, not feeling clarity on what exactly it is you're supposed to be doing. As I mentioned in my introduction, I work with young adults at the church post-college, and especially in those first few years after college, a lot of the young adults are asking a lot of those questions. Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? Where am I supposed to go next? Should I take this job? Should I take that job? Should I marry this person? Should I not get married? Lots of questions and lots of need for guidance and direction. And the disciples are in that same kind of place. They need God's guidance. But Jesus is so reassuring. He gives them clear guidance on what to do. He tells them first to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes up on them, and then to to begin to proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of of sins starting in Jerusalem. Phew, they must have felt so relieved. Okay, now we know what to do. Go wait in Jerusalem, and then we wait for the Holy Spirit, and then we're going to go out and we're going to start preaching to the nations. Um, It says the nations, which translates to Gentiles. So they feel this relief, but they also know that they are going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 49, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Notice the presence of the Trinity just in this verse. Jesus is sending them the promise of his Father, who is the Holy Spirit. He's telling the disciples, you are not alone. The Holy Trinity is surrounding you and is with you as you go. And the presence of the Holy Spirit is there to instruct them and to empower them to carry out the mission that he has for them. That's why he tells them to wait. They can't do it without the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Just a couple of verses to help us understand what what role the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. In John 14, 15 through 17, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he calls um, the Holy Spirit the helper, the spirit of truth, and it says that he dwells with you 
and he will be in you. So he is our helper. He shows us what's true, and he dwells in us. Um, and then in John 14, 26, it says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That one is especially comforting to me. If I was there with the disciples, I would have been like, okay, I gotta, do you have something to write on? I gotta take notes. I can't forget what Jesus is saying. I have a bad memory. Um, but this is so comforting because it says the Holy Spirit will remind you of all the things that I have taught you. The Holy Spirit is there to instruct us and be our teacher, just as he was for the disciples. And so he's promising them, wait here, and this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will be empowered, you will be taught, you will um, be enabled to remember all the things that I have taught you so that you can share them with others. And so because of all of this, the disciples are taken from a place of grief to a place of great joy. It wasn't long ago that they were feeling despondent, devastated, depressed, deflated, disillusioned, any other words that start with D? Um, I just got rolling with that one. <laughs> um, they felt that their hope was gone. I know we've been talking about this for a couple weeks now, but they felt like their hope was gone. Not only had they lost their dear friend and teacher, but they had lost their hope for the future. Jesus was supposed to deliver them from Roman occupation. Jesus was supposed to be the resolution to more than 400 years of waiting. But Jesus' resurrection made all the difference. Now, they are no longer grieving and hopeless. They are filled with joy. That's what it says in our passage. In verse 52, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. They have now a new understanding of their situation, clear instructions on what they're supposed to do next, and they have hope for the future. They leave with great joy. Jesus goes up to heaven. They could have been sad that he was gone. They don't seem to be sad. They know the Holy Spirit is coming. They leave with great joy um, because they know that they are not alone and that the end of the story is going to be so much greater than they ever imagined. And this is not the end of the story. Luke leaves us with a cliffhanger. They are waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. The continuation of the story is in the book of Acts, which was written by the same author and tells us the rest of the story. So we get to see in Acts when the Holy Spirit comes upon them at Pentecost, which by the way, today is Pentecost Sunday. Happy Pentecost. And today we are celebrating when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And then after the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they are empowered, then they start to go out and share with the nations, um, starting with the Jews and moving out to the Gentiles. Not only that, but we are all a part of this story. The story is not over yet. We too, if we believe in Jesus, have been given the Holy Spirit, and we too have instructions to continue to carry on the Great Commission, to teach and proclaim the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? What does that look like in our lives? How are exactly we being invited to join into this story? First of all, the invitation is to encounter 
our risen Lord. That was the first thing that happened to the disciples. They encountered the risen Lord. Um, We are invited to listen to his voice, and we're invited to participate in his call to proclaim the gospel. But I want to ask you a question. Do you experience the clarity, guidance, and joy that these disciples experienced on that day? Are we excited every Sunday to come to worship and filled with joy to be together in God's presence? Do we joyfully proclaim Christ to all that are around us? I'll be the first to admit, I don't always have that great joy. Sometimes I do these things grudgingly because I should, because I have to, because it's my job. (laughs) But we don't always have that joy. And I'm not saying that so that we can all start to feel guilty that we're not joyful enough. And then we can start to try to force ourselves, like, just be joyful. Come on, be joyful. Do it. Um, It's not really something that you can conjure up or force. It's something that came naturally to the disciples because they encountered their risen Christ. When they encountered Jesus, that just automatically gave them joy. So do we and have we? Have we encountered the risen Christ? I don't know why I'm having so much trouble with these pages. Um, (laughs) Okay. Um, Have we truly encountered our risen Lord? Friends, I believe that Jesus longs to give us what he gave his disciples more than 2,000 years ago. He longs to teach us and to give us understanding of his great story, which I talked about throughout the scriptures from the very beginning until the end. He longs to give us clarity on what to do in our daily lives, and he longs to heal our grief and to fill us with his joy. The question is, will we allow him to? Will we let him? But you might be wondering how. Of course, I want those things. I want guidance. I want joy. I want um, to feel those things. I want to have clarity on what to do. But the first way that we can do this is by simply slowing down enough to hear his voice. The disciples are instructed to wait, not to get busy right away. They probably wanted to. They had just encountered Jesus risen in the flesh. They probably just wanted to go immediately and start telling people. But Jesus tells them to wait. We don't like to wait. I know I don't like to wait. Um, In our culture, everything is instant gratification. And yet, Jesus, it is so hard to hear God's voice when we're constantly moving at a million miles an hour. We have to slow down so that we can encounter the risen Christ, so that we can hear his voice. But how do we do that? How can we listen to God's voice? First of all, through his word. Um, God speaks through his word. The word of God is living and active, and he speaks to us through it. But he's not going to speak to us if we just quickly read it and go on with our day. We have to slow down. We have to let the words soak in. We have to read it slowly, maybe even two or three times, to really let it sit with us. Um, He speaks to us through prayer. A lot of times we think of prayer as just us talking to God and telling him our list of things that we want him to do or hope he'll do or our list of concerns or even praises. And those are all good things. 
But part of prayer is listening. Think about if you had a conversation with your best friend or your spouse and all you did was talk. Um, You need to listen as well. We need to listen to him. And then finally, through seeking out times of silence and solitude. Again, I mentioned we have to slow down. That means intentionally putting down our phones, getting away, even if it's just for an hour, being in times of silence so that we can hear his still, small voice. Otherwise, how can we be upset that we don't know what to do? We don't know what to do a lot of times just because we're not really listening. We're not taking that time to slow down before him. So will you join me in doing this? Believe me, it is so worth it. Jesus is offering us his peace, his joy, his power, and his guidance. We just have to let him. I pray that we will. Would you join me in prayer? Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for your words of life. We thank you for how you provided for the disciples exactly what they needed. We thank you for how you clarified things for them, helped them to understand what had happened. We thank you for how you gave them clear direction on what to do and where to go next. And we thank you that you filled them with joy. We pray that we would learn from them, learn from what we see in scripture, that we would take the time to slow down and to listen to your voice. And that we, when we do so, we would be filled with joy as we walk in your ways, as we um, build your kingdom here on earth. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.